You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. It is Friday, September 30th, and we're talking Reds baseball today with Mark Sheldon, our Reds reporter. And, uh, Mark, thank you as always for the time. Mark, this is not a place you ever want to start a discussion or a podcast especially, but uh, the tragic death of Jose Fernandez, uh, which we found out about uh, in the early morning hours of Sunday, still very fresh on the the minds of uh, many people within baseball and the sports world throughout. And, uh, you know, such a tragic loss, obviously, that goes without saying. But, Mark, uh, from the Reds' perspective, talk about uh, reaction to the passing of Fernandez within that clubhouse and if any players or even uh, coaches or managers in particular had any sort of a connection or were close in any way uh, to Jose Fernandez, who, again, his life was tragically cut short at the age of 24. Yeah, I mean, the clubhouse was sad. It was uh, walking in there on Sunday morning. You, you definitely saw people watching on television, and, and uh, a couple of people struck me as uh, somewhat connected. Uh, Anthony DiScalfani was a Marlin. He broke in with the Marlins, and actually uh, his major league debut was to replace uh, Fernandez in the rotation when he had to have Tommy John surgery. So uh, he knew him, and he didn't know them really well because he was injured the whole time he was with the Marlins, but he said he spent a lot of time in and out of the clubhouse uh, offering encouragement, was always kind to him, and he always appreciated that. And He definitely sensed uh, how much he loved baseball and how much the community loved him, so it was uh, it was very hard for Discofani. He, you know, you could definitely tell he was emotional about it. He's also a young guy, so it, it certainly hits him in that way as well. And uh, in, a, in a different sort of way, uh, Ted Power, the Reds bullpen coach, never met him but uh, he was involved in a very similar uh, scenario in 1993. He was a member of the Cleveland Indians and was scheduled to be on a fishing trip with Steve Olin, Tim Cruz, and Bob Ojeda wow. on a lake on their one-off day and decided kind of at the last minute not to take the trip with those guys. He felt like it was his one-off day. He'd rather be home with his family and at their you know, rented spring training home, so he stuck it out in Winter Haven. All the other three went out, and of course, uh, on that horrible day, Steve Olin and, and Tim Cruz uh, were killed when their boat hit a, a dock, and Ojeda was seriously injured, and it was a crusher, of course, for the Indians and for Cleveland and for all the families, of course. And you know, Tim pa- Ted Power said it's, his story wasn't important, but he could certainly remember that horrible day immediately. It kind of came flooding back to him, and he knows exactly what the Marlins are going through because the Indians went through it that year, and it was a really rough time for everybody. Yeah, it's and it still is a rough time for the baseball world at large uh, with the passing of Jose Fernandez, and we've heard from at least uh, one or two players on the Marlins who said that they received uh, invites from uh, Jose and the other two men who also tragically lost their lives uh, that day about joining them on the boats uh, for whatever reasons uh, they declined, and that's something that uh, sticks with you for the rest of your life, and unfortunately... Uh, you know, Jose Fernandez, uh, Fernandez taken from us at the age of 24, and it certainly uh, rocked uh, the baseball world. And as you said in particular, guys like Ted Powers and uh, Anthony DiSclafani, who began his career as a Miami Marlin. Uh, Mark, to transition from that uh, to a wild uh, walk-off loss last night, uh, Thursday night in St. Louis, uh, kind of a surreal scene after the game. We see, you know, the Cardinals celebrating uh, a walk-off win. On a Yadier Molina double, we see the Reds uh, players uh, lingering uh, just outside the dugouts and on the field, uh, wondering, well, wait a minute, uh, you know, that should have been a ground rule double. The run should not have scored. 
We see Brian Price uh, trying to chase down the umpires as they had left the field. Kind of a just a, a very weird cartoonish scene. So kind of break this whole thing down for us as it was determined after the fact that that ball that Molina hit should have been ruled a ground rule double. It was not, allowing Matt Carpenter to score all the way from first base, in which case he would have been sent back to third. But explain why a challenge was not immediately issued and, and why that when Brian Price decided he did want a challenge, he was not allowed to. Well, a whole lot of things went wrong, honestly, on everybody's point. Uh, with the umpires, with the rules, with the Reds, quite frankly. Uh, the, the bottom line was is Dave, uh, Adam Duvall, he saw the ball hit the sign. He didn't know that the sign was behind the fence. He thought the sign was in play, but he also knew enough that it's the last could be the last play of the game, so he did not want to stop the play and risk losing the game right there. So he, he played it out and was hoping that that would get figured out later. Uh, Brian Price and the rest of the Reds are in the dugout the way is the, the angle is. They're down, you know, they're in the ground, the, the kind of left field where the cutout is. You can't really see it that well. They didn't have a great angle. They didn't know. Uh, obviously, Matt Carpenter scores, and it's loud. The it, crowd is cheering. Fireworks are going off inside the clubhouse where the video monitors are, where the video guys are sitting. They're trying to call the dugout. The dugout phone's ringing. No one can hear it with all the noise. So the Reds aren't getting the, the word that they need to challenge. Uh, by the time somebody from the clubhouse runs down and tells Brian Price, he's looking for the umpires who have already walked off the field. And you can kind of see on the replay, the umpires are kind of looking into the dugout saying, maybe you guys want to, you know, challenges. I don't know. And, <laughs> It's a weird rule. It's like, okay, the rule is apparently they were told it was 10 seconds, but it turns out they had to make the immediate decision. They had no way of knowing whether there was an immediate need immediate need to stop the, uh, the, the proceedings and have a look. And, you know, the umpires kind of like, well, if you didn't challenge, it's too bad. But they, they kind of put the getting the play right on the secondary back burner. I thought that was kind of weird. It kind of put the onus on the aggrieved uh, party, which is a weird, kind of a weird thing. So now it's kind of, you get some people blaming the Reds for not doing their job, but it's really easy to second guess. But when it's happening in the moment, I can see why they didn't know to replay. Why would you think if all went off the wall? When I saw it with my naked eye the first time, I thought it hit the wall cleanly, like as it was in play. And then only when I saw the replay that I know, and I have the advantage of being behind home plate. So uh, it was a mess. And, and Brian Price went and talked to the umpires uh, but it was too late, and the team's not going to protest because they feel like, the, at least uh, as far as I know, they're not going to protest still. They, uh, the, they follow the letter of the law, but obviously the rule kind of had a loophole. Yeah, I agree with you that uh, the onus should not be on the, on the, as you said, the aggrieved party, which is in, the, in this case the Reds certainly as uh, they're staring at a walk-off loss. I guess my question is if there's even a shred of doubt in your mind if you're Brian Price, if there's even just one iota of doubt that, you know what, what do I have to lose at this point? I'm going to run out there. I'm going to issue a challenge. Maybe I look completely foolish, but, hey, what's the worst that could happen? You know, the worst that could happen is, you know, we have a walk-off loss right now, and it's still going to be a walk-off loss. They can't get any worse. So, again, I guess that's my question. If you're Brian Price, you know, again, what do you have to lose at that point rather than, he, than trying to sit there and determine, well, should I or shouldn't I? He didn't know, though. That, uh, the point is, is he thought it was a run-of-the-mill ground rule double. He had no reason to think, okay, he's watching the ball as best as he can from down in a dugout under the ground looking out to left field. He has no way of thinking, well, 
gee, I should challenge this. But he, 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 you know, just to throw a challenge out for the sake of the challenge isn't really what's been done in baseball. No one else that I know of has done that. He had no reason to think that it wasn't a clean hit. The first moment he found out about it was when someone came from the clubhouse and notified him. So he didn't really feel like he had enough time to get that information and relay it to the umpires. Once he did, he, he ran out of the dugout in a, in a, you know, in a desperate move to, to try to check him down. But I don't think he thought there was anything hinky going on with that play at first glance. Now, uh, now, Mark, going back, uh, you mentioned Adam Duvall. Now, he's, he's the left fielder on this play. And it, now, you, you might have covered this already, and I might have missed it, but as he is fielding that ball – does he immediately think this is definitely a ground rule double or was he, was he unsure? And that's why the play continued as it did rather than put his hands up and say, Hey, you know, that ball's out of play. What was his first reaction when he saw the trajectory of that ball and where it ended up? His first reaction was the ball was in play the only because he knew it hit the sign, but he, he kind of pleaded a little ignorance to the, uh, to the ground rules. He didn't realize the sign was behind the fence that was in play. He thought, it was in play. So I asked him, why didn't you throw your arms up? And he said, well, at the time I thought it, I knew it hit the sign, but I thought the sign was in play. But if I had any, you know, he's like, I couldn't stop. I had to you know, do everything I could to field the ball and get it in. Otherwise we would have lost the game for sure. So I, I get that point of view, but I also think that it's up to the outfielder and the team to know the ground rules to a T. And that's one of those situations. They got to say, Hey, listen, you, he needs to know that a little bit. I, I, I was a little surprised that he said he didn't realize the fence, that part of the fence was not in play. And, you know, the Reds have been there now three series this year. I know he's a relatively new left fielder, but that's what I think that's one area where I did have a problem with. I thought he, maybe he should know the rules there, and he didn't. Yeah, and it, and it ultimately, you know, cost the Reds. And, again, technically, uh, you know, the Cardinals got a huge break. They win the game on a walk-off, which should not have been a walk-off. Instead, it should have been second and third, two outs. Maybe the Reds get out of that inning. Maybe the Reds win the game. And maybe that puts a coffin in the Cardinal, or that puts a nail in the coffin of the Cardinals' postseason hopes. Uh, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, a little surprised that the Reds are not going to uh, protest the game. They decided they'll, they'll take their medicine and they'll walk away with a loss. But uh, if the Cardinals uh, do qualify as a wild card and end up uh, winning the wild card game and progressing as far as they want to in the in the postseason a lot of people are going to look back at that game and say boy what a huge breakup for st louis so a very interesting game last night uh for the reds and for the cardinals both and uh top night as well uh mark for joey Votto as he took uh, multiple stitches to the chin after he was struck by a ball on a on a throw from the outfield i'm actually a little surprised this doesn't happen more often in the game but uh i know that again a lot of blood on the field at the time he left the game uh, how's he feeling today well, I haven't seen him yet today, but last night I saw him, and uh, he was fine. He had a uh, tape and bandage over his chin. Um, said he never you know, had any trouble. There was no concussion issue. It was just a, a cut, and really he wanted to stay in the game and kind of go hockey style and get patched up right there and then, but there was too much blood. It was They, they were not able to, under the you know the kind of the rules of the game, you, you can't stop the game indefinitely to, to patch him up at second base. They had to bring him in. Do it the right way, and the only way he could do that was to come out of the game. So, if it was up to him, he would have stayed. But they, in order to patch him up, he had to go back to the clubhouse in the training room to get the stitches. He got seven stitches. I would anticipate he'll be in the lineup today. Um, but it's, uh, but he, he was, you know, just talking to him last night. He was fine. 
Yeah, it was a, a tough break for him because up to that point, he was uh, three for four as he continues his quest to become the first uh, big leaguer since 2004, some guy named Ichiro, uh, to hit 400 in the second half. And right now, uh, Mark, as you pointed out in the postgame wrap, he is uh, at 410. If you round up, I think it's uh, .4096, something uh, like that. But, uh, Mark, I did some math, and uh, if Joey Votto goes hitless in his next six at-bats, he'd be exactly at 400. So, as of this discussion on Friday, he's batting, like I said, 410. Let's assume on the, the final day of the season that Votto is he is right on the fence. He is like a, a percentage point or two above 400. What are the chances that Brian Price would say, you know what, this would be a cool thing for him uh, to become the first big leaguer to do this in a dozen years? I'm going to sit him to preserve the 400 mark, or is this not as big of a deal to them as it is maybe to other people, not as big of a deal to Joey Votto, who is one of the more you know humble professional guys in the game, as we've pointed out multiple times, and, and Joey would just say, you know what, either I end up above or below 400, it doesn't matter, I'm a pro, I'm going to go out there and play no matter what. How do you see this thing kind of playing out over the course of these next few games? Uh, my personal opinion is it's a nice – feather in the cap if he gets it but it really isn't that big of a deal because I mean if it's the batting title maybe I'd understand if it's a a, 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 you know a chance to win the triple crown I I, I don't know there's different variables in there and I I just don't think this meets that threshold where you sit down just so you could say you batted 400 in the second half for the first time in 12 years I I doesn't meet that 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 test for me I I don't and knowing Joey Votto I don't think he's going to say hey I got I'm a 401. If I bat again and I might go below it, sit me out. That just doesn't seem like his style. He, he's not usually one to go put himself above the team. And, and right now the team is pretty banged up. They're missing a few regulars right now, and I don't. I just don't see him sitting out. Yeah, I agree that uh, he's certainly not that kind of guy that would put a personal accolade above the well-being of the team, especially when that team is as banged up as the Reds are, as you pointed out. So we expect to see Joey Votto in there for these final three or four games, and let's hope that – for what it's worth, he does uh, eclipse the 400 mark again right now. He is at uh, 410 here in the second half, the last guy to do, to do it again, each row back in 2004. Mark, to wrap up here, uh, the Reds wrapping up their season with three games uh, at Wrigley Field against the Cubs. And, and, of course, the Cubs have everything wrapped up and locked up and secured, home field, number one seed, you name it. So in light of that, what kind of lineups do you see Brian Price uh, fielding for these for the last uh, games of the regular season against the Cubs, considering uh, who they're playing and the circumstance that they're playing uh, against for? Well, one correction: they're actually a Great American Ballpark this weekend. Oh, I'm sorry. The season. That's okay. Um, I don't I don't see anything different. Again, they're banged up, so there's some guys that are going to be might be missing. Brandon Phillips has been dealing with a sore hand. He hasn't been in the lineup the last couple of days. Scott Shedler, I know, won't be in the lineup today. He was uh, already dealing with a sore hamstring and had to run out a what ended up being the tying run uh, last night and an infield single, and he couldn't uh, halfway it down the line. So you could tell he was struggling. So I don't expect to see him. We'll see what happens with Joey Votto's chin, but I expect him to be in there. Obviously, they're missing Zach Cozart already for the rest of the season and Billy Hamilton most likely. So uh, they're going to put the best lineup they can uh, out there against the Cubs. It won't be their regular lineup, but I don't think they're going to go into the mode of, of experimenting with, uh, you know, at all the positions. I, I think they're going to play it straight up, even though the Cubs are not playing for anything other than trying to secure uh, themselves. 
Yeah, and we'll see what happens uh, with these final few games of the regular season as the 2016 campaign is uh, rapidly coming to a close. And so, too, has uh, this podcast on this uh, September 30th, this Friday. Mark Sheldon, uh, thank you, as always, for the time. We'll do it again at this time next week. In the meantime, Matt Waybire signing off for MLB.com Extras, Cincinnati Reds. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go. Every night, on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.